If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Limbit Opic on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Greetings. Uh, well done for joining me, Planet Earth, here on the Lembitopic Show. Another three hours of news and comment about the stories making the headlines around the world. Uh, wherever you are, whatever you think, here's your opportunity to be informed. We separate facts from fiction and facts from opinion. The great thing about TNT, today's news talk, is that we're allowed to express those opinions, but never to dress them up as if they are the gospel truth. Your only responsibility is to think for yourself. If you can do that, you're in the right place. Today, we've got some very interesting guests, as we always do have, and we dig deep into their views about the world. Uh, my mission isn't to try to persuade them or indeed to persuade you about my points of view, but to give you the information that you need to have a rounded picture of the world, a compendium of the points of view that you get from free thinkers. We don't tend to have people who follow the party line here. If they do start doing that, we usually call them out for it and ask them to think for themselves too. Uh, in a few minutes, we're going to be speaking to a very free thinker, indeed, somebody from the Freedom Association, Andrew Allison, uh, the chief executive officer. He'll be sharing his opinions about what's happening to free speech and looking at the great mix-up, particularly, I think, in the Labour Party, uh, where anti-Semitism and considerations about the policies being uh, perpetrated in the Middle East all get into a melting pot which causes problems and belies a certain lack of cognitive thinking uh, when it comes to those particular issues. Uh, before we go that, <clears throat> that way, I want to highlight another example of something which I'm not too impressed with. Keir Starmer, the man who would be Prime Minister in the United Kingdom, has now decided to wade into, wait for it, the American presidential elections. He's actually slammed uh, Donald Trump for making certain statements about NATO and uh, suggesting that when NATO members don't pay their dues, then others can do whatever they like uh, in terms of those countries. Now, it's fairly obvious to me at least that, and here's an opinion, that Donald Trump was being figurative there. He's saying that uh, if you don't pay, then you don't get your way. But Keir Starmer, a man who seems quite keen to jump on any opportunity to promote himself, has now said that it's bad faith by Donald Trump to criticize NATO members who don't pay up. Now, I have two problems with this. First of all, if Keir Starmer does become the prime minister, and if Donald Trump becomes the president, they're going to have to work together. It's called the special relationship. Well, it's a bad start if before either of them have got into office, uh, one of them decides he's going to take his ball home. How does that actually work? The great irony here, of course, is that if he decides uh, to turn his back on the United States president, should Donald Trump win, then he himself has caused the kind of dissonance in NATO that he's criticizing Donald Trump for doing too. Well, I don't think that's very smart. Uh, Donald Trump uh, is very likely, I think, to be the uh, Republican candidate, despite the endless uh, cacophony of legal cases which are being presented against him. Uh, indeed, you might be interested to know, and we've mentioned this before here on TNT, even if he does get convicted of any crime, even if he's behind bars, he can still stand for president. Uh, and as such, I think it's terribly unwise for Keir Starmer to pick a fight with a man who hasn't even been elected yet. The second thing which I find disturbing is that Keir Starmer 
tends to run wherever he thinks he gets a headline. This is my opinion again. He was asked on one occasion if he would prefer to be in Westminster, where British Parliament is based, or at the World Economic Forum. And he chose the latter, the unelected clique, the autocracy that many believe in a conspiratorial way is already running the world. But for Keir Starmer, the unelected elite is more attractive than Parliament for all its faults, for all its limited democracy. This man wants to be the Prime Minister of Britain. So let's add all that together. He doesn't want to work with Donald Trump. At least that's how it looks. He's turned his back on a future American president, even though I think it's fairly bad form for one world leader to tell a different nation who to choose. And at the same time, he tilts towards the World Economic Forum for his approbation, for his approval, for his acceptance. My friends, I don't think that's a great recipe in a democracy. And more than anything, I feel that it does tend to drive Keir Starmer's reputation into the hands of his critics who say that he will say anything uh, that he thinks is going to get a headline. I happen to applaud the fact that he's junked his environmental flagship policy. I think it's good that he said he's not going to spend £28,000 million a year on some kind of a green revival, which would really be a green catastrophe for the British economy. But yet, it's still another example of the U-turns that characterise his leadership. I've never been a member of the Labour Party, and I'm not asking you to vote for or against them. I'm simply inviting you to watch closely in the months ahead in the run-up to the autumn general election to see if Keir Starmer can find a steadiness that might serve the country better than tilting in the wind. If you have views on that, go to the chat for TNT, tntradio.live. You might disagree. If you are Keir Starmer, I'll get you straight on air. You'll find the phone numbers on our website. And more than anything, I'd like you to express your opinions here at the home of free speech. All of that here on the Lempitopic Show on TNT. Abroad or at home, this is your news. By staying silent, we are part of the problem. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Joining me now is joining me now is uh, uh, a man who makes a career out of free speech. His name is Andrew Allison. He's the chief executive of the Freedom Association, set up over half a century ago to defend our freedoms. Andrew, welcome to TNT again. Thank you very much, Lemba. Good to see you. And uh, I've had my little rant about Keir Starmer. You may or may not want to comment on that. But I suspect it will be inevitable, considering we're going to talk about some of the threats to free speech in this country. If I can cajole you into commenting on the Julian Assange trial, which TNT will be covering live on air from central London, that will be great. But let's start with your explanation of what uh, the Freedom Association stands for and, and why you campaign with it. Well, we stand for freedom of speech, freedom of expression, uh, free markets, freedom of religion. Uh, all the basic things that I think you would expect us uh, to, to, st to stand for. Um, our big campaigns at the moment are that freedom is in crisis, that we have issues with cancel culture. Indeed, we had a conference last October 
where you kindly spoke out as well then, but uh, where we looked at how we could conquer cancel culture. Um, and th this is something that, that we're building on and we're trying to fundraise at the moment to, to, to keep things going so we can put on more events, more conferences uh, and do more that we can to, uh, to spread the word of freedom. How did the Freedom Association come into existence? And I do understand there was actually a murder involved in the early days. Yes, there was. Um, I mean, there was a meeting between uh, Norris and Ross McWhorter, two identical twins, who, who were running the, Gu the Guinness Book of Records. And they had a meeting with someone called Viscount Delisle. Lord Delisle was a, was a VC. Um, he, he, he was awarded that in the Second World War. Uh, and they decided to meet. Uh, and what came about, uh, along with Major John Gurrier, uh, was the National Association for Freedom. Of course, this was in 1975, and this was the height of the IRA bombing campaign. And uh, Ross McWhorter put out a reward for anyone who had information that could capture some IRA bombers. Uh, and as a result, he was he was murdered uh, on his doorstep. Uh, and the Freedom Association was launched very shortly after that with uh, police protection for his twin brother Norris. So it was you know the launch was a very tragic and uh, and sad time. Uh, this was at a time, of course, also when we had the closed shop in the UK. Um, you, 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 know, you couldn't go into certain professions or, or trades unless you were a member of a trade union. Uh, there was secondary picketing, you know, if, and there was a big dispute in North London, Northwest London, uh, the Grunwick dispute, the uh, photo processing lab, and it, it was ridiculous because the the electricity unions would turn off the electricity, the water unions would turn off the water, the communications union of postal workers wouldn't deliver the mail. You know, th this is the sort of sort of mess that Britain was in in the nineteen seventies, uh, and that's what we were born into. Um, and we played a, a major role in in, in that particular uh, campaign. Um, uh, with, with Grunwick, um, and it helped change the law and pave the, the changes that came in the 1980s. So it was, a, it was it was a very promising start. And as you say, you know, 50 years later, we're still here. Uh, and so and so are the strikes, Andrew. Where I live, I turn up at the train station and there aren't any trains. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, indeed. Uh, Back to BR, and, uh, this, isn't it? Back to British Rail. Well, it's worse than that because I moved to where I live. I don't really like central London very much to live in. It's it's become very problematic, partly because we have a dreadful mayor there uh, who uh, just hasn't really achieved any of his main, major goals. But uh, I came here because there was a train every 15 minutes into central London. Uh, now they've halved it. So you're meant to use public transport in the name of the climate crisis, <laughs> there aren't the trains. And uh, so I, I hold you personally responsible for the fact that my trains don't run on time <laughs> or they don't run at all. <laughs> well, you um, can hold me responsible for many things, but you can't on that one. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, we'll let you off that one. Okay, objection sustained. Uh, in terms of, we'll talk about the specific issues and particularly the weird swinging about which the Labour Party seems to be doing in terms of mixing, mixing up uh, Judaism with uh, Israeli politics in, a, moment, in a, a few minutes. But in terms of the Freedom Association itself, what is your judgment about the state of free speech in Britain? Well, it's in a poor state. Uh, I, I mean, a lot of people reach a crossroads and they, they, they can follow that road to tyranny or they can follow the road to freedom. 
the, the road to tyranny is quite a smooth road if you're not affected by it. So if if if, if you having if other people are getting their their free speech curtailed, then well, it's not affecting you. So it's it, it's quite quite an easy road. Um, and the road to freedom is a is a much bumpier road. It's a harder road because you don't know what's going to happen. You can't control things. Uh, but of course, it's a better road. And the destination is better because it means that ideas are debated thoroughly, uh, and you come up with better decisions. It's it, it, it's a place where the the those who have lost an election accept that the majority voted a different way and just accept the result. And a clear example of that not happening was the Brexit vote in in twenty sixteen, where David Lammy, who is now the shadow foreign secretary for Labour, stood up in the House of Commons and said, "We just have to reject this vote," even though the the, the voters were told that. We will respect your decision, no matter which way it is, whether it's to leave or remain. You know that that is a road to tyranny. It's not the road to fr to, to, to freedom. Um, we, we we need to learn in universities to to debate ideas and not have endless trigger warnings and people going into their safe spaces because they they're offended or that they, they can't have their their views challenged. Um, I mean, these are some of the issues that we that we face in the UK, and of course, we face them around the world as well. I mean, most of this has come from from the United States. Like lots of things, good and bad, come from the United States, and it's something that we need to we need to challenge. The uh, point you make about uh, voluntary offence, I would describe it, uh, does bother me. We seem to have created a situation where you're almost encouraged to be offended by people who don't follow the mainstream. How did we get to a situation, I don't know if you agree or not, how, how did, if you do agree, how did we get to a situation where you're not actually allowed to say offensive things anymore, which is so subjective, it's dangerous. We all came in, I do agree, but it all came in really through the Blair years. Uh, when, when you were a member of parliament, and it's to do with hate crime legislation. I mean, I mean, it wasn't example, my fault. It wasn't my that fault. That wasn't your fault. You filtered <laughs> against I'm not that. I, I, yes, no, I, I didn't mean that, but yes, you are co quite correct. You voted against this sort of thing. Uh, but you know, it, it strikes me that if you know, if you're a Christian in this country and you want to speak, uh, preach on a street corner, you're likely to get your collar felt by the police, and they will tell you that you're saying offensive things to other people. Uh, and indeed, one police force, I can't remember, I think it was Merseyside, but I don't wish to uh, defame them if it wasn't them. But it was one police force a couple of years ago in this country put up, put up signs, electronic signs, saying that causing offence is an offence, which of course it isn't. Um, but, but it means that free speech has been restricted. It strikes me, um, we've got to touch on obviously the, the, the Israel and, and issues and the, the war in Gaza, but, but if you're a Jew in this country, then you're targeted simply because you're a Jew, uh, because you know, you know, that, that's, that's your faith. Uh, but if you dare to criticize Islam at all, even in the mildest way, you will be accused of Islamophobia. Uh, and again, the police may become knocking on your door. And, you know, it's very difficult to get the police to turn up when you've had a burglary. But my goodness me, if you tweet something uh, that they don't like, quite literally half a dozen officers will turn up on your door uh, and ask you to accompany them to, to, to the nearest police police station. So we've created these protective groups. You know, um, Islam seems to be a, a protected group. It's We've almost gone back to the blasphemy laws, haven't you? haven't we? I mean... I seem to remember that the blasphemy law that we used to have uh, in the UK only applied to the Church of England. So you could say what you like about Roman Catholicism. Uh, but, you know, if you started criticizing the Archbishop of Canterbury, maybe you were in a, in, in a spot of bother. 
but we seem to have gone to a de facto blasphemy law uh, when it comes to, to Islam. Islam can't be criticised, but other religions can. And of course, that is completely, completely wrong. But it's the same with a trans debate. You know, if you're a woman who believes that only, only biological women should compete in sport, otherwise those who are, who are biologically male have an unfair advantage, which I think the vast majority of people agree with, uh, then you, you've been closed, accused of being transphobic. And those women are called TERFs, trans-exclusionary radical feminists. Uh, and you get people standing, uh, literally at meetings and at rallies, saying that we should kill the TERFs. But they never seem to get arrested. It's because they're a protected group, because it's trying. And, and, and this is how it's gone on. It's been a very sort of long process, uh, and nothing has happened overnight. And of course, we've got the politicization of the courts as well. And again, Tony Blair did that. Um, well, we never had a Supreme Court in the UK. That was America. There was never such things as constitutional rights because we don't have a constitution. We have an unwritten constitution of, of checks and balances and, and precedents. But Blair turned that on its head and created this Supreme Court. Now we have political judges. But in America, they have political judges who are appointed um, or elected. So appointed through through you know, Senate hearings or elected uh, in, in localities. But we don't even have that. We have the worst of all worlds. We have political judges making political judgments, and they're completely and utterly unaccountable. So, you know, all of this is a gradual process that's been going on for the last you know, 20 or so years. Okay, hold that thought. I want to explore what seems to be a total mess in terms of our uh, policy making. You mentioned Judaism before. The way that I personally think people mix up Israeli politics with a religion, which tends to be the back door into anti-Semitism. And I want to also explore where you think we're heading in terms of the Julius, Julian Assange thing, if we have time. Uh, you're listening to the Lembitopic Show. Uh, I'm talking to Andrew Allison, who is the chief executive officer of the Freedom Association. Uh, I'll get some of your comments in shortly. Uh, don't go anywhere. We're going to be talking Keir Starmer. We're going to be talking Assange. All of that on the Lembitopic Show right here on TNT. See you in a few minutes. TNT's Kate Shamarani. I'm of the, the belief that your body can totally, 100% heal itself. If you remove the offending things and you flood your body with what it needs, what do your dogs and your kids do when they get sick? They lie down and sleep, don't they? They don't want to eat. They get great big temperatures and they just want to rest. What, do you think you're a special, special snowflake? You're any different? No, that's you as well. But what do they want to do when you go to the hospital? I've seen it firsthand in the last couple of weeks. They're just going to serve you rubbish food, wheat, sugar, dairy, animal protein, tea and coffee, fluoridated, chlorinated, bromine, water, drugs, pharmaceutical petroleum-based drugs. Kate Shamarani on today's News Talk TNT. TNT is an independent global news talk station that does what others only say they do. TNT is a live radio and TV broadcaster that simply tells the truth 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 
No one in the world does what we do. Crisscrossing the globe, providing credible news and opinion all day and all night. In two and a half years, TNT has become a credible and exciting platform with brilliant hosts and staff. It's a critical time, and we must continue to call out the misinformation and propaganda from mainstream media and their powerful sponsors. We're now appealing to our many friends and supporters around the world to go to TNTradio.live and make a small donation to TNT while we seek the right investors to continue our important mission. Are you sitting comfortably? Oh, yes, yes. Then I'll begin. Even when you're just sitting around, we're rocking the talk. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to the Lambertopic Show, where we find the facts, kill the spin, and tell it like it is. A mixture of facts and opinions, but never mixed up. When it's a point of view, we say so. When it's a fact, we do our best to verify them. Uh, I'm with Andrew Allison who is a champion of free speech in the United Kingdom, Chief Executive Officer of the Freedom Association. Lots of comments coming in. Let me read some of these out to you. Uh, there's a strange conversation about buying ribs, which I won't get into, not human ribs, food ribs. Uh, Malibite says the problem with London is that it's full of Southerners, racist. Uh, Mogden says if Sadiq Khan, the mayor, uh, sorry, I'd say Sadiq Khan, uh, the mayor hasn't achieved all his goals. His nickname is indeed Can't, Sadiq Can't. Uh, hidden in plain sight, say, um, uh, says, is talking about Sir, why the Sir, he was responsible for not prosecuting Jimmy Savile, among others, and that's about Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer is Sir Keir Starmer. Uh, it's a matter of great surprise to many people that Keir Starmer was head of the Crown Prosecution Service, but didn't lift a finger to prosecute a profligate, famous abuser, paedophile, uh, Jimmy Savile. Either he wasn't good at his job or he knew, and it's even worse. Never really got to the bottom of that. That's a fair point and well made. Uh, one more. And uh, more criticism of London from Hidden in Plain Sight. Uh, good morning, Ivan. And uh, one more, which is uh, actually I live in the west of London, says Mogden. So uh, I live in the south of London uh, myself. Uh, Andrew, I think you're very wise to live in the north of England. Your quality of life will be much better than ours, I think. Yeah, I think it probably is. Yeah, very happy in East Yorkshire. Uh, it's a yes. It's, it's a lovely place. I used to live uh, north of that in Newcastle upon Tyne. Uh, for international uh, viewers, do come and go to Newcastle. It's a wonderful city, mm. and it's still got a rare quality. People who are nice to each other in the street. But we're not here to <laughs> serve as the North of England Tourist Board. We are here to serve as defenders of free speech. We touched on this earlier. Uh, uh, Andrew, it seems to me that Keir Starmer, the leader of the opposition, leader of the Labour Party, and likely the next Prime Minister, though his opinion poll ratings are slipping now, he's got himself into a mess over the conflict in uh, in Palestine. I was gobsmacked to see a Labour Party leader oppose a ceasefire when something like 30,000 mainly civilians have been killed in the conflict there. How did we get to a situation where the Labour Party was opposing a ceasefire? We have to start from the beginning and go back to the years when Jeremy Corbyn was leader of the Labour Party, where anti-Semitism was most certainly rife. Now, Labour had a problem with that, a huge problem with that. And one of Keir Starmer's main goals and challenges, in fact, he had to do it, was to try and rid the Labour Party of anti-Semitism. 
So it's a very sensitive subject for Labour. So that's how we get into, into this situation. You also have to remember that Keir Starmer's wife is Jewish and therefore his, his children are Jewish. So it's a very sort of personal thing to him as well. Now, as far as the mix-up is concerned, well, Azar Ali, who was Labour's candidate uh, at the uh, Rochdale by-election, which takes place on the on the 29th of February, um, he still he, he still is listed as the Labour candidate, of course, on the ballot paper because because that can't be changed. But he is effectively an independent. Did so did say some pretty sort of horrible things. Uh, he was peddling a conspiracy theory that that Israel deliberately deliberately ignored intelligence and allowed the the attacks to happen on the 7th of October in order to to invade Gaza. Completely disproven and total nonsense. Now, I think just for that reason only, you wouldn't particularly want that person representing your party as an MP. Anyone who goes around peddling those sorts of conspiracy theories, uh, proven conspiracy theories, um, really, you, you don't want them on, on your side of the argument. But the, the, there is uh, a mix-up here between what is... Um, anti-Semitism, genuine Jew hatred. Um, and I prefer to call it that as well. This, this is a hatred of Jewish people because they happen to be Jewish. That is that is what anti-Semitism is. Um, and you've then got to think of Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, who, you know, for the love of God, I wish he would just go. I, I wish he would, he would resign as prime minister. Um, I, and I know that, you know, it's probably now a majority of Israelis would wish that he would just go and disappear out of political life in Israel. Um, you can you can criticise Benjamin Netanyahu. I will criticise Benjamin Netanyahu. One of my first comments to a, to a very dear friend of mine, my former my former uh, former chief executive of the Freedom Association, Simon Richards, was that I just hope Israel just doesn't go completely over the top <laughs> here in its response. Now, when it comes to 30,000 people being being killed in, in Gaza, I'm sure many people have been killed in Gaza, Lambert, but when it comes to figures coming out of the Gazan Health Ministry, which is run by Hamas, then I do take some of the numbers with a pinch of salt unless they can be independently verified. So I, I, I'm sure that many thousands of people have been killed. I'm sure the children have been killed, sadly. Uh, but I also know that Hamas... Has, has squandered aid money. It's built tunnels under hospitals. Um, it is using the Gazan population as a human shield. Uh, and the only way that you can defeat Hamas is by going into Gaza. And unfortunately, uh, you know, civilians are, are going to be killed. But it's all about proportion. To, to, to finally, just, just to answer the specific question of how could a Labour leader get into the situation when he wasn't calling for a ceasefire? Um, well, they've called for a cessation of hostilities and they want six-week breaks and things like that. But I think what people have got to remember is that on the 7th of October last year, Hamas broke a ceasefire in a most brutal and barbaric way, the worst genocide of, of Jewish people since the Second World War. And it takes two to tango here. Um, I, I wish the peace talks well. But I think the only way that there is going to be a ceasefire is A, that all the, the Israeli hostages are released and B, Hamas goes. Now, it's, not an easy, it's not an easy thing to fix, but Hamas has to go. Otherwise, Israel will not have security because it will feel that Hamas will launch another attack. I grew up in Northern Ireland, Andrew, where the IRA, the Irish Republican Army, uh, conducted a campaign of terror for all of my childhood and part of my adult life. The British military was crawling 
all over a province which has roughly the same population as Gaza, one and a half million. And they were unable to identify all of the terrorists, the mm-hmm. active people, even though they widely had infiltrated the IRA itself. It seems to me that it's an act of vain self-delusion for Netanyahu to believe that he can find all of the Hamas operatives. And there's another point which no one else seems to be talking about apart from me. As you kill civilians, and we can argue the toss on the numbers, as you kill civilians, you increase recruitment to the terrorist organization. That's what happened in Bloody Sunday when when a dozen or so uh, people were killed by the British military in the early 70s. And that's surely what's happening in Hamas, with Hamas and in the Gaza Strip as well. Yes, you you you, you make a fair point. Um, yes, the more you do kill <laughs> or more innocent people are, are killed, it becomes a, a, a recruiting sergeant. Um, but I, I and I agree that you're not going to root out every single um, Hamas operative in all of that. But I don't hear really ways of solving this um, fr- from other people. I mean, how do you get rid of Hamas? Now, you know, Hamas were democratically elected. I can't remember what year it was, but it was the best part of 20 years ago, wasn't it? Was it 2006, I think? So 18 years ago, it was around about that time. And they've never held an election since. So I don't think you can blame the people of Gaza, especially, you know, those that are turning 18 now, you know, would normally be allowed to vote for the first time because, you know, they're not responsible for Hamas. Uh, and it is a very young population um, in, in Gaza as well. Uh, but somehow you've got to get rid of, of Hamas because Hamas is the big stumbling block. There will never be peace uh, between Israel and uh, and Gaza whilst Hamas are in charge. It's not going to happen. We're tempted, I'm sure, to try to resolve the issues between Israel and Palestine I'm interested, and and I am very tempted to discuss it because it's interesting. If you have time, we'll come back to that. What has really bothered me, though, is the way that it's been treated in the UK. And back to Starmer, it seemed to me that he was presenting mixed messages and to some extent empowering anti-Semitism by some of the comments that have been made in his own party. And the mix up, the confusion to many people is this. Uh, after Keir Starmer going on and on and on about uh, Jeremy Corbyn being anti- or allowing an anti-Semitic party to thrive, to develop, and the anti-Semitism to exist in the Labour Party, we've now discovered that there are various candidates in the Labour Party today who are perpetrating anti-Semitic points. Now, as you've rightly said, uh, Andrew, it's perfectly legitimate to criticise Benjamin Netanyahu not because of his religious faith, but because of his political decisions. And that doesn't make you anti-Semitic. But I don't think that Keir Starmer has been able to achieve that distinction in his own party. And so the Labour Party looks anti-Semitic because some of the candidates under Keir Starmer, not Jeremy Corbyn, who lost his job partly because of this, because Keir Starmer is presiding over very similar issues that Jeremy Corbyn was accused of. Yes, no, I take your point uh, and, and tend to agree with you on that. Uh, I just think he's he's trying to walk a tightrope here 
Um, he doesn't. He doesn't want the Labour Party to be accused in any shape or form of of anti-Semitism. Well, I mean that has gone particularly badly wrong um, in in the last week. Um, he said that he'd acted decisively, of course, in getting rid of this candidate. But it took him it took him well over twenty four hours to act decisively um, to, to to get rid of this candidate. Um, so the, so that's the tightrope that he's that he's walking at the moment. Um, and as I say, it's going rather badly for him. Yes, it is. Holly makes an interesting and very obvious point, really. Everyone just needs to get a grip. Killing innocent children is not acceptable. And I have to say, that's why, Andrew, I had I been in Parliament, certainly had I been leading a party, I'd have said, we have to have a ceasefire. Uh, I wouldn't have split hairs on it. Uh, and if I'd been leader of the Labour Party, I would have definitely said, we have to have a ceasefire. And yet, Keith yeah. Starmer's come out with the opposite position. Yeah, but but it's it's a bit like one of those meaningless statements, like you know, I believe in world peace. Well, just you know, I, I, it doesn't mean that I believe in world war. Of course, I don't. Um, we know about the killing of of innocent children. I think we've got to watch the language here. Yeah, you know, I don't believe for one moment that Israel are targeting children in Gaza. Uh, yes, it comes up as well the horrible term called collateral damage. I hate the term, um, but 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 that's what it is. You know, when we were fighting. Um, uh, Nazi Germany in the Second World War, we weren't thinking about the innocent people in Germany who were who were being killed on a nightly basis on the bombing raids. We we we, we saw that uh, as a necessary evil um, to 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 defeat a, a much greater evil in the form of uh, of the of the Nazi Party and Adolf Hitler. You know, all of these things are messy. Nothing is clear cut. Nothing nothing is black and white in all of this. Yes, of course, I would like a cessation of hostilities, a ceasefire, whatever you want to call it. I, I, I don't want to see more people losing losing their lives, but we but how is how can that be achieved? As I've said, unless unless Hamas is removed as the now I think what you could you'd have to describe as the illegitimate government of Gaza. The uh, temptation, as I say, is to talk about this specific conflict. It seems to me what's missing, though, in Parliament is. The failure, and I think the abject failure of people like Starmer and, and other politicians too, to make the differentiation, to say, criticizing Benjamin Netanyahu does not make you anti-Semitic and does not justify anti-Semitism. I've said this almost every week uh, here on TNT, and it's obvious to me, because to say, well, look at Benjamin Netanyahu, that's what you get with the Jews, would be like saying, look at what Tony Blair did in Iraq, that's what you get with the Catholics, because Tony Blair's a Catholic. But somehow, Starmer and I have to say, I would say, uh, Rishi Sunak and the other party leaders don't seem to be able to differentiate Judaism from Benjamin Netanyahu themselves and, and the Israeli state themselves. Now, there is obviously a close relationship there, but you can be a bad politician regardless of your religion you can be a good politician regardless of your religion mm -hmm. and i wonder maybe, maybe you disagree with this i wonder if what we've ended up with here is this confused wokiness going on where people in politics are frightened to criticize israeli policy for fear that they're accused of being anti-semitic yes that's that's that is a definite that is a definite thing uh, i think people are frightened of that mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's the same way that, you know, when there's a Muslim terrorist attack, I mean, or, sorry, I'll, I'll rephrase that in a much better way, and specifically an Islamist uh, terrorist attack, you'll get political leaders caveating whatever they're going to say 
by saying that you know Islam is a is a religion of peace. Majority of, of Muslims don't believe in in, in terrorism, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, which is sort of stating the bleeding obvious in many ways because I don't believe that you know that, that every Muslim in this country wants to kill every 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 non-Muslim. I mean that that would be an absurd comment to make. But politicians pussyfoot around all of this and try not to mention that it was Islamist attacks simply because they the fear of being of being criticized and i think it's exactly the same with uh, with with israel uh, they don't want to be seen as as anti-semitic and uh, and i will happily call out those jews who who try to turn every every attack um political attack on on israel uh, as anti-semitic because it it, it it clearly isn't but you know we've discussed before on air lembit and and privately on the telephone how we just don't have MP, uh, lead political leaders now and MPs with backbones. You know they don't have the courage of the convictions. They're 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 terrified of being unpopular, um, rather than trying to, to 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 be honest with the public. Uh, so I think it goes back to the quality of members of parliament, of parliamentarians, the quality of our leaders. Yes, and as uh, regular viewers know, I blame the fact we have a political class, perhaps. The biggest change I've had in the 40 or so years I've been involved in politics is this. I used to think we needed to have full-time politicians who didn't do anything else, didn't have any other work or cultural commitments. Now I think it's essential they do, because otherwise you get this awful political class who went to university to study politics, then they worked in a political field, perhaps as a researcher for an MP, then they became an MP, then they became a minister, and maybe they became prime minister. So they never did anything else. And so yeah, they don't have to take in the game. There's nothing, there's nothing for them to fall back on as well. So, so, so they, they have to keep on getting getting re-elected. So, you know, going to, to, to the late great Tony Benn, who said, you know, there are the two there are two types of politician. You you have the signposts who 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 have they stand firm. They, they don't move. They know what they believe in. They know what their principles are. They know what their ideology is. Uh, and then you have the weather vanes. You just blow in the wind. And these career politicians are the latter because they've got nothing to fall back on. They haven't really got any other skills other than other than politics. Uh, and in a desperate attempt to re to remain relevant and 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 to get elected again, they'll they'll just blow in the wind on anything that that makes them look popular. Um, and that is a damn good argument against having these professional politicians. I want people who've done something, who've, who've run their own businesses, who've got a profession. I mean, don't bother. It could be doctors, it could be lawyers, accountants. I'm not bothered what it is, but I want them to have done something and then get into politics. At the moment, we have people who seem to get into politics at a very young age, Lembit, and then, you know, when they're in their 30s, they then go and do another career. It's, it should be the other way around. Uh, stay with us. I want to explore where we are in terms of free speech with regard to the Julian Assange case, which is coming up this week, which TNT will be covering live on air from just outside the courts, in fact. Uh, you're listening to Lambert OPIC show here on today's news talk TNT. Don't go away. See you in a few minutes. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. I'm sure you've been following Mark Morano and, of course, the climate trial of the century where Dr. Michael Mann was suing Mark Stein. In any case, that is going to the jury. Now, there are a couple of things that have popped up in this trial which are very interesting. First of all, out of the 22 possibilities, 
for this so-called hockey stick. Only two of them showed the hockey stick. Both of those were fudging the hockey stick. And what did I mean by fudging? Well, they claimed that the medieval warm period did not exist, which if Dr. Mann was actually a meteorologist and looked at the weather, he should know that you can't just have regionalized warming in one area of the world. If it's warm in one area of the world, it's going to be warm in other areas of the world. I think I've explained this before. Now, another thing is that there's some interesting things coming out that may open Dr. Mann up to be sued, especially by Dr. Judith Curry. Now, I've always wondered why Dr. Curry did not go after Michael Mann because he has really said some disgusting things about her, including spreading false rumors about her sex life. So there were a whole bunch of little other things that came out. Don't know what the jury's going to do. Seems pretty obvious to a normal human being that Mark Stein did not cause Michael Mann any damage given 12 years later, Michael Mann is a prince among all these climate change people that think that the earth is burning up. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. Our beautiful world is changing, withering, dying by the hands of those who don't value nature, even though we all depend on it for life itself. But there is hope. Together with caring friends, the Nature Conservancy can restore our lands, heal our waters, and save our wildlife with big solutions only nature can provide. But every day we lose more of the places we love and we urgently need to save endangered lands, waters, and wild species. The actions we take today will determine the tomorrow we leave to our children and grandchildren. The water they drink, the air they breathe, the beauty they experience. To learn more about how you can help protect and conserve our beautiful world, visit nature.org today. You're with Lembit Opic on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Uh, welcome back uh, to three hours of news and comments with uh, individuals who provoke, who think, who advise, uh, who disagree, but who always say it like it is. Uh, I'm with Andrew Allison, who is the Chief Executive Officer of the Freedom Association in the UK. We've been discussing the situation in Gaza and the in my view, confused thinking uh, about Benjamin Netanyahu and his religion. Uh, and I think that both sides make a mistake here. Uh, Israelis accuse those who criticize Israeli politics as being anti-Semitic at the same time as anti-Semites use Israeli politics as an excuse to be anti-Semitic. But it doesn't mean that the two things are the same. Uh, Andrew, you've created quite a strong uh, reaction here. Uh, Holly's saying, what news are you listening to, Andrew? Um, Mogden has uh, a strong criticism of you, which I can't read out. Uh, Madrid says, I keep referring to him, but it's only him that is strong in the political arena. They called Andrew Bridgen anti-Semitic when he stood up and asked for a discussion on excess deaths. And uh, a lot more comments here. And uh, Hidden in Plain Sight says, for goodness sake, not killing kids. Well, it was all a lie. Okay, why does this individual 
uh, not open his eyes and look beyond the mainstream media lies, MSM lies. That's beginning to be the, the, the catchphrase for the um, for the old media. Uh, is, uh, Holly says he's another one in a long line of cowards. These people have no normal compass. Disgusting. I don't think that's directed actually at you. Uh, there's quite a long debate going on here. There's a genuine frustration, uh, Andrew, about the position that you're taking on the basis that many people feel that the problem lies in, in the fact that we're essentially countenancing some kind of, of bad behavior by the, uh, uh, by the Israeli government here. But let's move on from that, because I really wanted to get your views on, on a free speech case writ large in uh, the British courts this week, and that's Julian Assange. She's the progenitor of WikiLeaks, which is a famous, or if you're against him, infamous uh, font of information, which has been highly embarrassing to a number of governments. And he is up for extradition this week on charges of espionage, apparently, in the United States. <clears throat> What's your view, first of all, of what WikiLeaks did? Have they provided a service or have they been a problem? Well, one of our principles of a free society is the rule of law. And, uh, and, and what was done uh, with WikiLeaks and Julian Assange uh, was basically illegal. I mean, I mean, he was not allowed to reveal, reveal this information. Uh, so that is my that's that's where I start on all of this. Um, it, I don't know when Assange uh, was first, well, when that extradition warrant was first applied for. I mean, my goodness me, this has been going on for a long time, hasn't it? I mean, yes, over a decade, I would think. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been going on for a long time. Um, if he goes to America, he should have the right to to, to a fair trial. Um, although some of the things that we've seen with uh, with Donald Trump recently in the United States, uh, and I will caveat that by saying that I'm not a fan of Donald Trump in any shape or form. If I don't like the man at all, but I do believe there's been a lot of political uh, prosecution, a lot of political um, uh, shenanigans going on there uh, through the courts. The it's quite I mean, as far as I see it. Um, so starting from a point uh, that what I felt that I felt WikiLeaks was wrong. Um, it, it really is up to the court to decide once and for all whether he's going to be extradited um, to, to, to the US or not. If he is, then I will have to assume that he will receive uh, a fair trial. Why would you have to assume that? Because I'm, I, I think, the, I mean, we're, we're talking earlier about the politicization of the UK courts, but I mean, that's nothing compared to the politicization of, um, of American courts. Um, and I think prejudices get in the way uh, too often um, in the court system there. Um, so I, all I can say is that I would assume that he would get a fair trial. That's that, that, that's that's the reason why I say it. Um, so I, all I can say is that I would assume that he would get a fair trial. That's that, that, that's that's the reason why I say it. Uh, and yet, the accusation of double standards could be levelled at the United States. Uh, mm -hmm. They've been on record and even boasted about killing, for example, Gen General Soleimani, who was really tipped to be a potential leader of Iran. He was assassinated. Uh, yes. There's no doubt about it because America yes. has bragged about it. He was assassinated in Iraq. Um, then we had the United States assassinating Osama bin Laden uh, again. Uh, mm -hmm. Whatever the rights and wrongs of it, America has stated in its actions, its belief that it can take these kinds of draconian steps against its perceived enemies. But then it goes crazy when Julian Assange takes a step of 
revealing true but compromising information about things like America spying on its allies. Surely we as a democracy have a right to know they were doing this. <sighs> national security always comes into this and what and, and what is and what is being hidden behind national national security. I mean I'm not I'm not stupid in all of this. I mean, I, I I know that you 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 could you could use the, the national security defense of the realm security of the realm argument on just about anything and and that could be where, where, whether people are nicking paper clips or not. Um you, you can somehow use that as a, as, a, as an argument going back to what you were saying about yes i mean uh, um saddam hussein was assassinated by the united states but i don't think anyone was really you know um uh, i'm sorry osama bin laden was was assassinated by the uh, by the united states but i don't think anyone was crying any tears over it this was this man was responsible for for mass murder i don't think there's any doubt that uh, that putin uh, uh, bumped off uh, Nalvani. Um, a, a couple of days ago, um, because he because he didn't like uh, his opposition. I mean, these sort of things do go on. Um, can they can they be justified? I think in some some circumstances, yes, they can. Um, you know, if you if if you if you manage to remove one person and that saves a number of lives, then you can you can justify it to yourself. But you know, it's very difficult these days to work out whether when, when it's peacetime and whether it's when it's a time of war. Um, I mean, things used to be pretty clear cut in the past in major conflicts. You knew when it was peacetime. You knew when it was wartime. At the moment now, the, 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 our enemies do not seem to to um, abide by the same rules um, that, that used to be abided by, and I think we're in a completely sort of messy, uh, different situation than we than we than we have been in the past. But we don't either. That's the point. Uh, it, mm -hmm. uh, I, I mentioned yesterday on the show that there were over six hundred assassination attempts against Fidel Castro many of them yes. sponsored by America. And yeah. this is the might is right agenda here. We've been talking look, about look, 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 it, Yeah, look, look when, it, when, when it comes to Castro, I mean, I mean, come on, I mean, I mean, I mean Castro, that, that, that was not justified uh, in, in any shape or form. Um, um, so I, that, that was completely wrong. But I mean, you were the one who mentioned um, Osama bin Laden, and I think that, that was completely mm. justified. So I think it's a case-by-case <laughs> case basis in, in that respect. Well, yeah, I, I wasn't really mentioning him in terms of the rights and wrongs of his killing. I was just illustrating the fact that capital punishment is alive and well and living in international foreign policy of America. Uh, well, and, is, and that's, living, that's the point I'm making. Yeah, I know it's alive and well and living in America anyway. Um, but um, as far as you know, capital punishment is concerned, but I just these things are just never black and white. I mean, they're, they're, it's it's a very you know, international relations, diplomacy, all of it is 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 very messy and uh, and very murky, um, and it's something I would never like to get myself involved in, um, really. No. T turning to the Assange case, as I say, uh, today's news talk, TNT, is taking this so seriously that we will be broadcasting live, mm -hmm. uh, bringing people over from Australia, in fact, to broadcast live uh, from central London and from very mm -hmm. near the courts, because we think this is something of a test case for freedom of speech. Let me put it this way. This is an opinion. Uh, Julian Assange is an incredibly good investigative reporter. He identified... Mm -hmm. The behavior of various governments somehow he managed to hack in 
to fairly sensitive information. And he yes. said, this is what's going on in your name. And he yes. could have had a huge, big neon sign above it saying hypocrisy alert here, where the United States, I think, was spying on Germany on German politicians. And they're meant to be our allies <laughs> or America's yes. allies. And then you've got all this other stuff going on, which no one's really denied. No one's denied that what Julian Assange has revealed was true. But it's embarrassing because, precisely because these states pretend they don't do stuff like that. And since we pay their wages, Andrew, these people are our public servants. We have a right to know what they're doing in our name. Yeah, yes, to a certain degree, yes. And some of the stuff that that, that, that is wrong, I, I would agree with you on. There, there, but there are other things that he revealed, and he was not to know uh, whether whether it, it would put the lives of other people in, in, in the security services at risk. It wasn't really up to him to decide that, yeah, I can release this and I can't release that, because he was not in possession of the full facts. Um, and I think people for, for, forget that. Uh, I know the governments want to hide things. Um, I completely, you know, believe in freedom of information. It was something that Tony Blair re re regretted after after he became uh, prime minister, pushing through the Freedom of Information Act. I think it was the best thing that um, that Tony Blair ever did. So of course I want that, and of course I want wrongdoing punished, and I don't want it hidden. I just don't think it's up to Julian Assange to um, to, to, to work out himself whether whether it's safe to release this information uh, or not because he clearly was not in possession of the full facts. Uh, and yet it's not his responsibility to give both sides of the case. I'm not- It's not his responsibility to leak either, Lembit. Well, I think what, it might be. I think it might be because I couldn't do it. And I, for one, was very interested uh, in what he revealed, including uh, an entry oh. about me and something I said about Nick Clegg to the American embassy. Now, I had no problem with that being shared because it wasn't really secret that I thought Nick Clegg was a dreadful leader and subsequent <laughs> events proved me right uh, because he wrecked the party. Uh, but, but what I'm saying is I didn't say anything there which was compromising to me. It was compromising to Nick Clegg, but not to me. And I had no mm -hmm. problem being an entry in Julian Assange's revelations. The reason I think he might... I felt a responsibility is because he has a unique genius ability to hack into these systems and his people. And I want to know these things. I am glad to know the nefarious way in which America and to some extent Britain uh, has conducted its affairs. I would love Julian Assange to have leaked what really happened to David Kelly or confirmed that he really did commit suicide because we weren't getting any clarity from the government. Well, the David Kelly thing, yes. I mean, that would be a bad thing. The government should release that information if they have anything anyway, because, I mean, we're talking, what, nearly 20 years on now, aren't we, uh, when, when, it, when it comes to, to, to Dr. David Kelly's uh, apparent suicide. I mean, it was rules of suicide, wasn't it? Um, but I know, I, I, I know, I can, I, I can see what you're getting out there. Um, and that's why I'm phrasing it in, in, in such a way. Yes, I mean, things like that would be very useful to know. And I think the government should give up those, those particular um, secrets. Uh, and many secrets are given up after 30 years, aren't they? Uh, certainly by the UK government. I don't know about other governments uh, around the world. Um, it, it, it's just that it, once you start this, um, it's security services who are, who, who are doing genuine work to try and, 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 and protect people 
uh, and prevent death and destruction around the world find it that much harder to to, uh, to, to do their job. And that's what troubles me about it. We'll have you back for sure. And next time I want to see, answer this question, to answer this question, what are the limits to freedom of speech? Because you're implying that there can be those limits. Fascinating to talk with you, Andrew. It's always a pleasure. Uh, always happy to come and do a talk at your request as well. Uh, that was Andrew Allison, the Chief Executive Officer of the Freedom Association. Lots on the chat. Haven't had time to read it all out because I got deep and heavy with Andrew. Uh, coming up, we've got somebody who has worked for the BBC, uh, part of the old mainstream media, a bit like myself. She'll tell us her background and also how she suffered at the hands of the COVID vaccines. All of that on the Lambert Opic Show here on TNT. See you in a few minutes.